Hi everybody welcome to another episode of the Get Set CISSP podcast today I'll be talking about laws regulations and compliance in the security and risk management domain this is one of the most important topics because most of the questions in this topic are around cross border regulations functional compliances and also some of the questions can be around the physical and environmental laws of the land that can affect the business continuity But before we can move ahead I'd like to discuss the answer to the question that I asked in the previous episode which is why avoiding the risk in a secure system is not the best option Well this is because if we are avoiding a risk we are not considering that the risk will realize however there is a high probability that the risk could realize because of the presence of threat agent and vulnerabilities in our system so avoiding a risk in a secure system is not a very good option Okay now let's dive into the world of laws regulation and compliance so to understand this we need to first understand what is the categorization of the laws on a high level there are three categories of laws criminal law civil law and administrative law so let's understand them one by one the criminal law forms the bedrock of this entire judicial ecosystem it is because it may involve the cases of prohibition against the acts such as murder assault robbery or any other unlawful or unethical activities that could be done from by an individual or a group of individuals the penalty for violation of criminal laws falls under the range that includes mandatory hours of community service imprisonment or even financial penalties could be imposed Next is the civil law. It maintains the order in the society and deals with the civil disputes and unconventional activities in the society. In the matters of non-criminal acts, there is a requirement of judicial intervention to settle the dispute in an orderly manner. The civil cases are enacted in a similar way as the criminal law. They must pass through the legislative process. At a federal level, both criminal and civil are embodied in the United States Code and this is also seen in other jurisdictions around the world. Usually the law enforcement authorities do not get involved in these civil matters beyond taking actions to restore the order in the society. The third type of law is the administrative law which encompasses the legal principles that govern the administration and regulation of the government agencies. These government agencies are also called as the executive branch so it is the executive branch's duties to abide by and enforce the criminal and civil law which are enacted by the legislative branch all of the detail about the categories of laws and how they work may not be directly questioned in the examination but it is important to understand how law works to understand how it will affect the security ecosystem of an organization Now after these some of the boring definitions let's move to the actual acts and amendments that we need to be aware of from a security governance point of view starting from some of the first laws related to computer crime that were introduced in the US constitution the computer fraud and abuse act was the first ever enacted computer crime law which was the part of the comprehensive crime control act or triple ca 1984 and it is still in force along with several amendments the major provisions in the act include things like access to classified or financial information in a federal system without authorization or in excess of authorization it also includes the use of a federal computer to participate in a fraud or it could be modifying the medical records in a computer doing so can impair the diagnosis of a patient 
और ट्रैफिकिंग ऑफ अ कंप्यूटर पासवर्ड इफ इट अफेक्ट्स द इंटरस्टेट कॉमर्स और इन्वॉल्व अ फेडरल सिस्टम ऑल ऑफ दिस लॉज वर इंट्रोड्यूस्ड इन द ट्रिपल सी एक्ट व्हिच वाज एमेंडेड टू बी नोन एज द कंप्यूटर फ्रॉड एंड अब्यूज एक्ट 1986 दिस आल्सो होल्ड्स द स्कोप ऑफ एनी कंप्यूटर्स व्हिच आर एक्सक्लूसिवली यूज्ड बाय द यूएस गवर्नमेंट और एनी कंप्यूटर्स व्हिच आर एक्सक्लूसिवली यूज्ड बाय फाइनेंशियल इंस्टीट्यूशन और एनी अदर कंप्यूटर डिवाइसेस व्हिच आर यूज्ड टू कमिट अ क्राइम और एन ऑफेंस This law continued for a number of years until 1994 when Congress realized that the face of security has drastically changed so a sweep of changes were made into this act which finally came to be known as the Computer Abuse and Amendments Act the new amendments outlawed the creation of any type of file which could be malicious in the nature and that might cause damage to any system Also the modifications covered the computer used in the interstate commerce and not just the federal systems. This amendment also allowed the imprisonment for offenders regardless of the actual intention and also provided a legal authority for the victims of the computer crime so that they can pursue a civil action to gain the compensation for their damages. time dialing back to 1987 there was also a computer security act which was introduced right after the computer fraud and abuse act 1986 to cover a wider variety of computer systems and security in the federal government systems since the member of the congress were not very satisfied with the 1986 act they implemented the csa 1987 or the computer security act 1987 to mandate the baseline security of the federal government systems this act served four different purpose the first one was that the nist the national institute of standards and technology was given the responsibility of developing standards and guidelines for the federal computing systems also nist was given the responsibility to draw technical advice for national security agency whenever it was needed The second purpose was to provide enhancement of these standards and guidelines. The third purpose was to establish security plans by all of the operators of the federal computer systems that dealt with the sensitive information. The fourth was to require mandatory training for all of the people involved in the management or the use or operation of the federal computer systems. In other words NIST as we know it today was born with this act in 1987 Continuing our journey in the time machine we land in 1991 with the federal sentencing guidelines It was released to help the federal judges interpret the computer crime laws the three main provisions in this act included the prudent man rule or the prudent person rule as we know it today which requires a senior personnel to take the responsibility on a personal level to ensure that due care and due diligence is done it also allowed the organizations and executives to minimize the punishment for infraction of a security law by demonstrating that they used the due diligence and due care in their security program it also outlined the three conditions for proof of negligence The first one is that the person accused of negligence must have a legally recognized obligation. The second is that person must have failed to comply with a recognized standard and the third is that there must be a causal relationship between the negligence and the damage caused. So now whenever we hear about the prudent man rule or the prudent person rule we can relate to the federal sentencing guideline in 1991. 
the year is not important but the federal sentencing guideline is important to keep in mind let's shift the gear and land at 1996 with national information infrastructure protection act by the way 1996 is also the year that i was born no relation anyway this law broadens the computer fraud and amendments act to cover the systems used in international commerce as well in addition to the interstate commerce that was already in the cfaa 1994 act protection under this law also extends to government national infrastructure like railways gas pipelines electric power grids etc it also treats the intentional or reckless acts of damage as a felony now let's take our time machine to the year 2000 where we discuss the government information security reforms act this was actually the amendment of a 1995 act which was the paperwork reduction act which required the agencies to obtain the office management budget or omb approval before they could request any information from the public which could include things like forms or interviews or data records etc the new amendments were to implement additional security with five basic purposes that this act could serve the first one was to provide with a framework of maintaining the effectiveness of the control over it resources that could support the federal functions and federal assets second was to recognize the highly networked nature of the federal computing environment including the need for federal interoperability and improved security the third one was to provide a government wide management and oversight of related it security risks fourth one was to provide development and maintenance of minimum controls for the federal systems and the fifth one was to provide a mechanism of improved oversight on the federal agency security program Now let's travel a little bit more into the future and land in 2002 with the Federal Information Security Management Act. This act requires the federal agencies to implement an information security program that covers all of the agency's operations. Let's discuss some of the activities under the information security programs that were introduced. We are pretty much familiar with these activities, but just to list it out the periodic risk assessment and single loss expectancy calculations for systems that included procedures and assets of the organization the second one was the policy based on risk assessment and cost benefit analysis to reduce the risk to an acceptable level and ensure that the information system addressed throughout the life cycle of the organization the third was the subordinate plans for information security and for the networks This act led the foundation of risk management and security governance so I suggest you to read this thoroughly because it is a very long act Now let's give our time machine a little bit of a rest and talk about other concepts like intellectual property the copyright act and the trademarks It is fascinating to see that most of the big organizations today have their brand names as their identity and their business front some of the examples could be like google facebook spotify amazon and what not so this is a creative output which is their livelihood and many products also depend on the secret recipes of the business like coca cola so all of these intangible assets collectively are known as the intellectual property there are copyright trademarks patents trade secrets laws for protecting these intellectual properties but intellectual property as a whole is more like an umbrella term for all of these intangible assets 
Let's start with the Digital Millenniums Copyright Act to understand intellectual property a little bit better. The copyright law guarantees the creator of an original artwork of the authority or the ownership protection against the unauthorized distribution or unauthorized usage of their work. The eight broad categories uh, that qualify for a copyright protection are any literary work, any dramatic work or any other creative work for that matter. It could also include things like software or architectural work or any musical work. The current copyright law provides the content protection for 70 years after the death of the author or 120 years after the creation of the content if the content is created by an agency or an organization. This act limits the liability of internet service providers when their network is used for unauthorized usage of copyrighted material because the internet service providers have a legal status similar to that of a common carrier which is the status of telephone companies and thus they are not to be held liable for any criminal activities which are performed using their network. However, to be eligible for this limit, the internet service provider must follow certain requirements. The transmission must be created by a person other than the provider itself. Also, the transmitting, routing or the provision must be carried out by an automated process without the selection of the material by the service provider. The next requirement is that the service provider must not be determined as the recipient of the data. And the other one is that the intermediate copies must not be accessible to any other person than the respective recipient. There must be no modifications to its content whatsoever. The next intellectual property type is the trademarks. The trademarks are words or logos or slogans which are used to identify the companies or the products or any similar services. So any company that may obtain a copyright for their sales promotion may also obtain the trademark for their product or service name. The main objective of a trademark is to avoid any confusion in the marketplace while protecting the intellectual property rights. A trademark do not need to be officially registered to gain any protection under the law. If you use a trademark in, in the course of your public activity, you are automatically protected under the relevant trademark laws. You might have seen some companies use TM or SM in their logos. That's basically for trademark or service mark. Now let's talk about patents. It provides the protection of intellectual property rights for inventors. It provides a time period of 20 years for the inventor with the exclusive rights to use their invention. and Patents have three main requirements to be recognized. The first one is that invention must be new and original. The second is that the invention must be useful and it must work and accomplish some task. The third one is that it must not be very obvious. Now to the final topic in this list is the trade secret. Many organizations have intellectual property that is critical to their business and it may cause a significant damage to their business if it was disclosed. The best example that I could give is the Coca-Cola secret. So as we all know that the secret for Coca-Cola is reserved and secured in a vault somewhere and, and a select group of people have access to that. Now this can also be protected under copyright law or the patent law 
but there are two major disadvantages to this the first disadvantage is filing for a copyright or a patent requires us to disclose the details of our work in the public the second one is that the both copyright and patents provide the protection for a certain period of time only so if the company has to protect their secret for a longer period of time which is not covered in patents and copyrights they are better off using it as a trade secret the official procedure regarding the trade secret is very simple you do not register them anywhere you keep it to yourself you must implement the adequate controls to protect the access of your trade secret to avoid any unauthorized access so with this last topic in our list we are at the end of the episode but there are a lot of topics to be discussed which i'll be covering in the further episodes so stay tuned and wait for the next episode the topic of laws can be boring and a little bit difficult to understand sometimes but i've tried to put it in a way that would be easier for you to understand and catch up so i hope this episode has been useful for you if you enjoyed it please share it with your friends and family and do let me know how you feel about this see you in the next one